0: Good morning. morning, It is an honor to be with you in worship this morning and to bring you a message from the Word of God. We are continuing in the series in the Gospel of Luke this morning, uh, the life and work of Jesus, and we come to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. It can be found on page 876 in your pew Bible. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Hear now the eternal living word of God. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. the luxury steamship, the Titanic, was the world's most celebrated ship. It had a first-class section of luxury suites, and it held the who's who of the time. This area hosted high-ranking officials, wealthy industrialists, and celebrities. Then there was a second level of, second-class level of accommodations, and this held academics, journalists, tourists. Then there was a large third-class, and where some paid less than $20 for a small cabin. And then there were those who were just there to work on the ship. And the Titanic was no different than the rest of the world. The rich, the famous, the powerful got special treatment. The less you had to offer, the lower the level of treatment they gave you. But as we all know, everything changed when the ship hit an iceberg. As the lower compartments of the ship filled with water and the bow of the ship pointed downward, all of a sudden, only one thing mattered, the need to be saved. Everyone on that ship and all their worldly distinctions were equalized by their need to be saved. And so it is that death is always a great equalizer. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, how much money and possessions you have, death is a great equalizer in the sense that it's inevitable. Everyone will come to the end of their life at some point. But death is also a great equalizer in another sense. Because upon death, everyone will be judged by the Creator. And status in the world, wealth, power, fame, all disappear in the eyes of a holy and just God. God judges us according to his commands, according to his holy, just, and righteous standard, not the standards that the world has set. And everyone will stand before him in judgment. And in that moment, there are only two options. Either you stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, or you stand before him in all of your sins. And this is the gospel The good news of Jesus Christ is that through faith in him, we can stand before God and be seen with the righteous, holy record of his beloved Son. And so today in our passage, we'll see three things about those who have faith in Jesus Christ. First, those who have faith in Jesus Christ will live for his glory and his kingdom. Now, second, those who have faith in Jesus Christ are those who will be with him in eternity. And third is those who have faith in Jesus Christ will believe in the truth of God's word. In the first half of the chapter 16 of Luke's gospel, it, it contains some important teachings on money in the human heart. There's the parable of the dishonest manager, which speaks of the proper use of money. Now in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus confronts the abuse of money giving the rich a solemn warning. It begins in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. The story begins with an unnamed rich man. He he describes this man first as clothed in purple and fine linen. Purple clothes were made from a dye that came from snails, and they were extremely expensive. And fine linen would be referring to expensive undergarments. So this was a man of great wealth. Some people couldn't afford anything. This man could afford expensive underwear. But he's also described as a man who feasted sumptuously every day. He held a banquet feast of celebration every day of life. He was living an extravagantly comfortable life. And then Jesus introduces the second character. Starting in verse 20, we read, And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So now we're told of a poor man, and we're given his name, Lazarus. And he lives a life that is in stark contrast to that of the rich man. While the rich man is dressed elegantly and eats well, Lazarus is very poor. He lies at the gate of the rich man in hopes of receiving food. And notice that it says Lazarus was laid at the gate of the rich man, meaning he was probably crippled. And on top of that, he was covered in sores. And so we have a graphic depiction of a man in utter despair. He is a crippled beggar who is suffering, covered in sores which are being licked by dogs. And so adding insult to injury, the dogs would render him ceremonially unclean. And so we see in Lazarus a poor man whose circumstances are as desperate and tragic as the rich man's are, comfortable and extravagant. And so picture the situation. Every day the rich man leaves his large estate that's enclosed by a high ornate gate, one you would see around a palace. He comes and goes with his business about town dressed in lavish clothing, feasting on a banquet every day. And all the while, outside his gate, lies a poor, wretched beggar. One who just wants to eat the crumbs from his table, who's suffering with sores all over his body, and who's further disgraced by the dogs licking his sores. And in this, Jesus is giving us a window into the heart of this rich man. Jesus isn't condemning all rich people. Rather, he's saying that indifference to the suffering of others tells us something. It shows us how selfish this rich man was. Jesus calls out the rich that they're in a position to help the poor, the vulnerable, the suffering. And if you only care about living a comfortable, extravagant lifestyle, he's saying that you don't have a relationship with the one true God. Those who have been reconciled to God will live out their love of God by loving their neighbor. Being rich isn't a sign that God has blessed you, neither is being poor a sign that God has forsaken you. Rather, loving God and loving your neighbor is a sign that you've been reconciled to God. And Jesus is telling us that someone who doesn't love those around them, especially the suffering, doesn't have God. Those who believe in the promises of God, those who have been reconciled to God through faith, in those promises, will live for God and his kingdom in this life. Now, Jesus tells the story before his death and resurrection, seemingly pointing to someone who lives in the Old Testament era. The story doesn't indicate whether or not the rich man even knew who Jesus was. But everyone is saved the same way. To believe in the promises of God before Christ is to believe in Jesus because Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. And so what we see from the two contrasted lives in this parable is that those who have faith in Jesus Christ will live for his glory and his kingdom now. In this life, those who lack faith in the promises of God, those who don't put their faith and trust in Jesus, will live for themselves. The rich man was living his life of comfort, and luxury. He was seeking his own glory rather than seeking the glory of God. And this is the evidence that he didn't have faith. The Apostle John wrote of this issue in his first epistle. He wrote, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk but indeed in truth. Whatever financial gifts God has given you, those whom Christ died for will pay it forward. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ will have a heart filled with the love of God. And so we can use our financial resources not only for ourselves, but also for people who are in greater need than us. We can feed the hungry, clothe the sick, heal the naked. Use what you have to care for those around you. And this doesn't earn your salvation, but it's the response of those whom God loved first. As long as you're living in this world, those who have faith in Jesus Christ live for his glory and his kingdom now. But death is a moment of truth that awaits everyone. And as Jesus continues this story, we see a great reversal in the two eternal destinies of the rich man and Lazarus. In verse 22 we read, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. So verse Jesus accounts the death of Lazarus. Here he refers to him as the poor man. And he abruptly mentions that he died. And this would have been a sad, pathetic scene from an earthly perspective. But we're given a heavenly perspective. On his death, he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And there was an idea of angelic escorts that was common in Jewish literature. And by Abraham's side, which is literally translated as Abraham's bosom, he's referring to a place of blessing. It represents the reception of the faithful to heaven. This is referring to where believers go when they die until the future resurrection. It's what theologians refer to as the intermediate state. The Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it this way. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and so immediately pass into glory and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves until resurrection and so saying that someone in this state is at Abraham's side makes sense because the bible tells us that Abraham is the father of all who believe Abraham is the father of all who believe in the promises of god and their fulfillment in jesus christ and so because of this we see there must have been another contrast in the life of Poor Lazarus and the rich man. While the rich man clearly didn't believe in the promises of God, as his selfish life indicated, Lazarus, going to the side of Abraham, tells us that for certain he was a believer, a man of faith. He is a true child of Abraham, a true child of God, who has been saved by grace through faith. And not only do we see a contrast in the lives of these two men, but also in their eternal destinies. While Lazarus suffered in life, he was brought into eternal comfort in death. While the rich man lived luxuriously in life, he's in eternal suffering in death. Because our circumstances in life don't determine our eternal fate. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how successful you are, how famous or prominent. Your eternal destiny is determined where you stand before God in judgment. And those who stand before God with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and there are those who stand condemned before him in their sins. And it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we're given his perfect righteousness, that he pays the penalty of our sins. And that's our second point for today. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ are those who will be with him for eternity. Lazarus ended up in heaven. And this can only mean that he was saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the sobering truth is that there are those who don't believe. There are those who don't have faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we read of the rich man that he was buried and in Hades, in torment. Now, Hades is not the biblical term for hell. Rather, it's a place that people go after they die before they face God at the final judgment. And it's only used in reference to the souls of unbelievers. Jesus is telling us that even here in this Hades, the souls of unbelievers are already afflicted with the flames of divine judgment. And they will be fully and eternally tormented in divine judgment in hell. Jesus gives us a description of this torment in physical terms. But we know that the rich man did not have a physical body after death. Jesus is using the physical as a metaphor for spiritual torment. And his point isn't that salvation depends upon your level of income. The real issue is our faith response to God. And what we do with our circumstances reveals where our hearts lie. Being rich doesn't automatically condemn someone. Abraham himself is a perfect example of this. He was extremely wealthy, but he used his wealth to glorify God rather than glorify himself. Now, there are many people who question the goodness of God because he punishes sinners in hell. But a God is a holy and righteous judge. That means he is so far above us in his being, in his perfection, that he towers over creation. And he can't be in communion with sin and sinners. His righteousness, his holiness, his justice demand the punishment of sin. And at some level, we all understand this. No one would want a God who lets the most heinous sins go unpunished. For example, no one wants the sins of a moral monster like Adolf Hitler to go unpunished. And that's just from a human perspective. From God's holy, righteous perspective, all sin must be punished. And your sins will either be punished on the cross of Jesus Christ, or you will bear the punishment yourself. So when people question why does God send people to hell, they're not only missing the seriousness of sin and the necessity of God punishing it, they're also missing the glory of God's grace. God has every right to punish every sinner for eternity. He's the holy creator, the righteous judge, and we are the sinful, rebellious creation. But in his infinite wisdom, in his unbelievable grace, he extends mercy to his people. God has been making for himself a people, and he does so through his grace, mercy, and love. So instead of questioning God about why he punishes sin, we should praise and glorify him for his grace. Because through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, sinners are redeemed. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be with him for eternity. And this salvation came at a great cost. But God loves his people with such a great magnitude that Jesus died a brutal death. He bore the weight of all the sins of all of his people so that we could have the fate of Lazarus instead of the fate of the rich man that we deserve. So instead of questioning God about the way he does things, which ultimately implies that we have a better way. Let us rejoice in the grace and mercy of God and praise and glorify him with our lives in response. But the parable doesn't end with the rich man's torment in Hades. There he makes two requests of Abraham. We read the first starting in verse 23. And in Hades, being in torment he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. The rich man, being in torment, calls out to Abraham to show him some mercy. So first we notice that he refers to Abraham by name. He knows who Abraham is. He even calls him father, similar to the Pharisees. But he didn't follow in Abraham's example, specifically using his wealth to glorify God. Second, we notice he also refers to Lazarus by name. This means he knew Lazarus by name, not only in death, but in life. But he left him begging at his gate every day. He ignored him. While Lazarus was lying on the ground, hungry, suffering, disgraced, the rich man was so consumed with himself, his money, and his status that he just left him lying there. This wealthy man about town is now in a complete reversal. He's asking for help. His self-sufficiency in life has turned to complete helplessness in the afterlife. In life, every day he ignored the poor suffering beggar at his gate, and now he is the poor suffering beggar. Beggar, And now he's asking Lazarus to come and help him. But his request for relief is firmly denied. We see Abraham's response starting in verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your life you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. His request is denied because those who die without the righteousness of Jesus Christ are punished for their sins. If your sins were not punished on the cross, then you will bear the punishment. These are the only two options. This tells us that there's a finality about our situation after death. In God's perfect justice, sin is always and ultimately punished. And that's either your sins are punished through the suffering death of Jesus or your own suffering after death. And this fate is final in death. As Abraham points out, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Once you die, your fate is sealed. The wealth that sustained the rich man in his lavish lifestyle is worthless to him in death. There's no way to change our eternal condition at this point. You must choose to follow Jesus Christ in this life. You must put your faith and your trust in him for your salvation. Your sin is great, but the salvation that is the free gift of God in Jesus Christ is greater. And once we die, the decision we've made about Jesus Christ in life remains for eternity. But the story doesn't end there. The rich man makes a second request. In verse 27 he says, Then I beg of you, Father, send, to him, send him to my father's house, where I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. The rich man found himself in permanent torment that he couldn't get out of. And now after his first request was denied, he thinks of his brothers on earth who are probably living for themselves and their riches just as he was. His second request now is for evangelizing the gospel to his brothers. The suffering rich man was, that he was going through suddenly made him aware of others. He didn't want his brothers to experience what he was. But it's also interesting that he still believes he can order Lazarus around. In both requests, he asks Abraham to send Lazarus to do something. He clearly feels superior to the poor man. But his request does seem reasonable on the surface. If his own destiny is sealed, maybe his family who are still alive will repent and be saved. But this request is also denied. Not because Abraham doesn't want people to be saved, but because it isn't necessary. In verse 19 we read, But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. The rich man's brothers already have everything they need for salvation. The word of God is all you need. God has revealed himself in the scriptures, and this is the plan of salvation of his people. The rich man's brothers knew Moses. They knew the prophets. This means they came from a religious family. They lived in a community where they could attend the local synagogue. They could hear the scriptures being read, but they never responded in faith. They continued to live for themselves and their wealth just as their brother did. If only they believed what they had learned in the word of God. And this brings us to our third point for this morning. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ will believe in the truth of God's word. And these things go together. Faith in Jesus Christ is faith in the promises of God. And the promises of God are contained in the scriptures. To deny God's word is to deny his promises. And this is to deny the truth about Jesus Christ. But the rich man seems to think that something beyond the scriptures is what his brothers need. We read in verse 30, And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He's saying, yes, they know what God has said. They've rejected it and lived for themselves. But if you just give them something more, someone coming back from the dead and pleading with them, then they'll do it. And Abraham replies in verse 31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. Abraham rejects this idea that someone coming back from the dead will convince the rich man's brothers to repent. Because the issue isn't that the arguments aren't good enough or that the evidence isn't there. If people aren't willing to listen to the word of God, then even miracles won't persuade them. And we see plenty of this in the Gospels. Jesus raises the other Lazarus from the dead, and instead of believing him, the, rich, the religious leaders plot to kill him. And when Jesus himself rises from the dead, those who kill him don't repent and believe. Instead, they just try to cover it up. Everything we need to know about God, life, faith, salvation is right there in the word of God. But if if your heart is hardened towards the things of God, you won't see it. It's not a head issue. It's a heart issue. And so for someone with a heart that loves money and lives for themselves, like the rich man and the brothers, they won't trust in God and the promises. So I want to pause here to ask you, have you come to put your faith In Jesus Christ. Are you living for his glory. And his kingdom. Now. Do you have a love of God. And a love of your neighbor. That results from belief in Jesus Christ. As your savior. If you believe that Jesus Christ. Is the only way to salvation. Then let's use everything you have. Your resources. Your money. To reveal that spiritual state. Show the love of Jesus Christ. To your neighbors. By caring for those who are in need. But if there is any of you among us that have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, let today be the day. You have heard the truth of God's promises proclaimed this morning. Let today be the day that you believe. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because whether or not you believe in Jesus Christ determines where you stand before God in judgment. As long as you are alive, it's not too late. Believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy God, create in us a new spirit, a new heart, that we will serve you as your new creations in a new life and in a new way to the glory of your name. Stir up in us the desire to serve you as you please, when you please. Expose to us the times when we neglect the poor and suffering around us. And give us a heart to care and love for them as you ask for us. Lord, let us hear and obey you. Bring about in us a faith that we may glorify you in our newness of life. May we live for the glory of your name and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.